Good evening, my lovely people, and welcome to another episode of The Daily Dose with me, Dr. Suhail Essa. Today, we're going to be discussing the extension of the lockdown. So this is something I actually predicted since the beginning, and it is currently day one of season two of the lockdown. I feel like that's how Cyril should have you should have welcome to season two this is now well this is technically now day 13 or 14 or 35 in total that president Cyril Ramaphosa it's it's almost as if you know when you're watching a series on Netflix and while you're in season one they're releasing season two it's incredible absolutely incredible so I'm going to go through a couple of the points that Cyril Ramaphosa mentioned in his State of the Nation address yesterday. I'm going to chat briefly on them, my thoughts, my opinions. Um, yeah, so let's just dive straight into it. So, firstly, let's go through the stats. There were 1,934 cases last night when the president addressed us, 24 deaths, 410 recoveries. Interestingly, Half of those deaths, 50% of the deaths are all in KZN. More, there are more cases, positive cases, confirmed cases in Gauteng, but KZN has the highest rate of death. Now, there's not a lot of information that you can find on the deaths. All I know is that only two of the 24 were less than the age of 63. So it seems as if the elderly population, which we knew were vulnerable, they are dying faster than the rest of the population. It's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just real. So, but weirdly enough, KZN actually has the most deaths. Now, I don't know. They don't actually talk about whether those other patients had other diseases attached. Um, so we're not too sure about that. But what we do know is... KZN has the highest rate of HIV, second to, um, I mean, a little bit ahead of Gauteng, but the highest cases of HIV is in KZN. I don't know whether that has a role to play, but we'll see in the upcoming weeks. Now, we see 410 recoveries. Now, remember, recoveries, you have to actually go back and test. So although 410, which is a great thing, a really, really great thing, and I'm sure doctors are following up and checking, but a lot of these cases, there may be way more recoveries than we're actually documenting. Remember, these recoveries are like maybe mild, probably moderate to severe symptoms. Maybe they needed to get admitted for a day or two, then they were discharged home, told to self-isolate, come back and test. So... If our contact tracing and our tracking is good, then we're probably following up with these patients and they're coming back and they're getting tested. Uh, hopefully, that's what we hope. So I'm feeling a little bit optimistic by these stats because we're far ahead of many of the other countries that decided to go into lockdown way too late. Like if you look at India, Italy, uh, USA, all of them chose to go into lockdown like USA took about 57 days before they went into lockdown. Uh, Italy as well, almost the same amount of time. I think it was 53 days. So we actually went into lockdown 21 days after our first case. 
right? So our first case, then we 21 days later, we go into lockdown, and now the president's extending the lockdown. Now, this can only mean one thing. It can only mean he is preparing for the worst, and the government needs time to do that, which I'll get to a little bit later. Now, the lockdown is extended uh, by a fortnight. Yes, that's not just a game children play. That is a measurement of time for you millennials. Uh, he's extended it by a fortnight till the end of April. Unfortunately, uh, my Christian brothers and sisters will have a difficult time celebrating the Easter. And as Muslims, we're actually going into Ramadan, which brings up an interesting case. On the day of the lockdown continues speech, a small fringe group of Muslims who do not represent the greater Muslim community actually wrote a document to the president stating why them praying in congregation is more important than anybody else, stating that if essential services such as taxis running and shops running, then it's also essential for us to pray. Now, look, I've had this debate before, and I will repeat myself. You don't need to go to the mosque to pray. Yes, it's advised, but in these times, we can't risk spreading infection in more communities. Who likes praying more than anyone else in our society? The old people. You are going to allow them to go into the mosque, catch a deadly virus, be put on a ventilator, and die. No one is impervious. They are priests, imams, molanas, all across the world, who before their lockdowns in certain countries had been implemented, they continued with big congregations, and a lot of them are sick. In the UK, there were about five imams that were sick, which is really, really worrying. And I think, I guess it's a very tricky time, financially, spiritually, but people have to understand that it is for our best good. Now, let's move on. Uh, the other thing the president was speaking about was non-invasive ventilators. They're investing a lot of money there, which is basically uh, assisting people to breathe without actually having to put a tube down your throat. Now, I don't want to scare you guys, but I want to get you through the take you through the process of what ventilation actually means. Because I'm sure you've heard it on the news. We're, we're, we're short, short ventilators. Uh, we are short of uh, ventilators. That's uh, supposed to be an Italian accent. I don't know. So they uh, across the world, they've been talking about how patients may need ventilation. Now, ventilation, you know, to, get, to, to, to ventilate a patient, you need to put a tube in the trachea, down in like down through the mouth into the trachea, sits just here and inflates and deflates each lung, causing you to breathe, basically. It's, it's, it's a much more complicated process. Now, those machines are very rare and extremely expensive and require, you know, a, a, decent, a decently trained doctor to use one. Now, 
I think this is a great move from the president to invest in non-invasive ventilators because the majority of the patients won't actually need ventilation. They may not need to be put on a, a machine that keeps them breathing. They might just need something to boost their breathing, like an oxygen mask, like nasal prongs, the ones that go into your nose. Like yeah. So I think it's a very good move on his part to do that. Um, I'm really... Uh, I'm really glad that they, they thought of that first because uh, I, I, I assume that a lot of our patients and I would hope that a lot of our patients simply require a, a assistance for a few days and then get discharged and a very small minority will require ICU admission or high care admission and then you know invasive ventilation uh, for multiple days which might lead to a whole uh, lot of other issues but we'll discuss that on another episode. Now let's move on. Uh, the president interestingly said that in this time, we need to look towards implementing economic measures to assist all that are financially burdened during this time. Now, he, he went on to just talk about how these things need to be done and how these things are really important and how important they are. However, he didn't actually say they're doing anything. Yeah, bro, we get it. We know. We are suffering. We need money. You're the guy that's meant to implement the policies to get us this money. A lot of businesses are going bankrupt. A lot of people are going to be starving. So what's the plan? Then in his next uh, point, he said something that I think all South Africans must be really thrilled from. Ministers are taking a 33% pay cut from their salary. 33, a third of their salary is going towards something called the, the Solidarity Fund. Now, in it, they've already raised 2.2 billion rand, and 1 billion of those rounds are going towards healthcare. So, 33% of all Government officials, that is a lot of money. That's in the millions, a lot of million. He also encouraged a lot of South Africans to do the same and contribute towards this fund and helping. But look, I don't think that's practical. I think it's a great move on his part to show that the government is also sacrificing, especially uh, with all the mess-ups the government ministers have made. Uh, if you look at the, the, the one minister who was out having lunch with a friend at, at the friend's home and posting it on social media. Firstly, if you're going to disobey the rules of the lockdown, it's fine, bruh. I know sometimes you guys need to buy legal cigarettes. I know you guys need to go and visit your friends now and then. I get it. I understand you're going to violate the rules once or twice. But bruh, don't post it on social media. Don't let us know. Let us believe, keep up this facade that you are maintaining social distancing so that we don't hate you. Because I promise you, there's mob justice on social media. They will come for you. If you are disobeying this lockdown, people will, people will take pictures of you walking on the street, jogging, walking your dog. Now, I know it's not a great thing, but like, I mean, come on, guys. Why are you now? Who, who made you the police? Anyway. So the money in the Solidarity Fund, he mentioned that it's going to be used for testing and screening. Now, 
this is really important to actually figure out how bad this disease is right now and how bad it's going to get. As I mentioned from the beginning of my Daily Dose podcast, this lockdown is going to continue. But how bad this thing really is, we will never know until we test and screen as many people as possible. In the locations, in the townships, it is there. And we, I, I, I hear about it in townships in KZN. We've got an Alex, Soweto now have got cases. So we're starting to see cases. Now we've done over 59,000 tests already. We, we really are leading uh, at the forefront of testing in Africa. We're far ahead of more, uh, more than half of our neighbors and uh, definitely the rest of Africa. So we're doing very, very well on that front. But I, I do believe that Sarah Ramaphosa is doing the right thing by pushing money into testing, screening, and healthcare. In the upcoming months, we can see, uh, I, I predict we're going to see a steep uprise in the number of cases and hopefully a plateau by the end of the lockdown extension. That's what we're all hoping and praying for. Now, in this time, it's important not to panic. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be tough. But a lot of us are out there on the front line. Today, I'm proud to say that I've sent in my CV application to the military as they are looking for doctors to support these efforts in terms of screening, testing. They're actually setting up these like big uh, you know, medic medic tents, you know, how you, the ones you see in, in wars? Yeah, those ones. They're setting those up for testing and screening and possibly even uh, makeshift wards to treat moderate to mild patients. So look, South Africa and the rest of the world that's interested in our stories, we're in for a bit of a rough time. But we knew this was coming. And hopefully, all of us are going to prepare. So it's time for us as South Africans, citizens. I know I'm, I'm speaking to you guys like I'm the president of this country. It's time for all of us to come together, embrace one another, help out where we can, don't exploit, and hopefully survive this lockdown. Keep in your mind, there are a lot of people that are in far worse circumstances than you are. And they're doing just fine. So I hope you will too. My thoughts and prayers are with you all. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of The Daily Dose. You can catch this on my YouTube channel, Soheo Essa, and on all other streaming platforms at Spotify, Apple, and SoundCloud. So take care, guys. Peace, love, assalamu alaikum. Good night.